You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 497 of this podcast. Today is Thursday, November 10th, 2022, and in this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Christian nationalism, so-called, as well as Catholic integralism. I think I'm saying that right. What is integralism? By William Galston, published November 4th, 2022, at Persuasion. Basically, Integralism is a Roman Catholic form of anti-liberalism, which justifies, argues for, insists upon the rightness of combining Roman Catholicism with political power. Basically, integralism points back to Constantine and Christianity being given uh, official status, official religion of the empire status under Constantine. And then from Constantine to Theodosius I, you've got a very different Rome. And also you've got a very different Christianity, a very different church. So the integralists think that's all a very good thing. And in reading through William Galston's article on this, It's interesting to note the Roman Catholic perspective on liberalism, where I would say, as a Protestant, that the Enlightenment and the French Revolution and secularism and Darwinism and these other isms are related and together have created this thing that we know as liberalism. Integralists, Roman Catholic integralists, would say Protestantism too. Basically, the Protestant Reformation was part and parcel, was central to liberalism happening in the first place. Therefore, we have to deal with Protestantism. We have to put a check on that if we want liberalism to go away, to stop, to be curbed, to be reduced. So how do you effectively do that? You want liberalism to go away. How do you effectively accomplish it to where you don't have so much liberalism in your country, in your political process? Quite simply, according to the integralist, political authorities submit to the authority of the church, here being, if you ask a Catholic, the one holy Roman Catholic church. That's what they mean by church. Political authorities must submit to the authority of the church in matters related to religious practice and ultimate salvation. And yes, that is very Roman Catholic to say you have to submit to the Roman Catholic church as a governing authority. Now I would note, again, as a Protestant, submitting to God is one thing. Submitting to the church is quite another thing. Where 
in particular, church here is meant as Roman Catholic church. Submitting to God and submitting to the church are not quite the same thing. They are not synonymous. And you might argue with me, if you're raised Catholic, you might say, well, yes, but God said to submit to the church, and therefore, if you want to submit to God, you have to submit to the church. Well, yeah, but he said to submit to the governing authorities as well, and yet there's no getting around the fact that there are limitations there. If you say submit to the governing authorities full stop and not the rest, for no authority is instituted among men except by God, if you don't say the rest, well, then you're giving absolute power to whoever the governing authority happens to be. If we're talking about the civil space, you're giving absolute authority, absolute power to rulers and authorities in the civil space, in the civil sphere. If you're talking the church, well, then you're giving absolute power to the church authorities. And if the real issue here is what is in the human heart and do we want that to go unchecked, I would love to see a scenario where you can give all this power to the church, which is comprised of men, or to the civil authorities, which is also comprised of men, and it doesn't go to their heads, it doesn't get abused, it doesn't end up being a mess. Now, the problem with liberalism, particularly secular liberalism, secular humanism mixed with liberalism, is that we've just shifted the problem from governing authorities being corruptible to the governed being corruptible. The people are not of a different nature and type and sort in terms of character. I was just talking about this on our last episode. The day after the election, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, we're in trouble. (laughs) We are in trouble as a country. And it has everything to do with the character of the people. The character of the people who are voting is not good. But it's troubling. This view of integralism sounds an awful lot to me like what people who are entirely bought into the separation of church and state line think someone like me is hoping it's going to go when they accuse people like me of being Christian nationalists. I would say this integralism piece is very similar to Christian nationalism. Although I note Christian nationalism, I get the impression is always in reference to evangelicals, American evangelicals, not Roman Catholics. There is something different and distinct about Roman Catholics as compared to evangelical Protestants. So the Christian nationalism piece is a distinctly evangelical phenomenon or label, if you will. You know, that was a question that was asked me by my neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez, the other day. What is Christian nationalism? Like, what is it even? I'm not sure I even have a definition. And I told him privately, and I'll, I'll say it here as well, it really depends on who you're asking. If you are asking somebody who does not like Christian influence affecting our public debates, public policy, political process at all, at all, well, then Christian nationalism is the whole gamut. It's everything from 
Christians just saying, well, I believe what the Bible says on the one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum, integralism, where the church actually is giving marching orders to a king or an emperor or a president. Hey, this is what you're going to do, and here's what you're not going to do. Now, if you're talking with somebody who's responding to this furor about Christian nationalism, they're going to give you a lot more nuance, and they're going to be trying to moderate and strain out certain things that they like that are being lumped in with Christian nationalism. I think, personally, all the while, missing the point. These things that we want to keep were not accidentally lumped in with Christian nationalism to get rid of them. They were on purpose packaged with things we're told we're supposed to be very much against so that we get rid of the whole lot because that would be the most liberating outcome, supposedly. But I've got a piece up right now. What is Christian Nationalism by Paul D. Miller at Christianity Today from last February. I used to subscribe back in the day to Christianity Today, but I guess that was yesterday. It was Christianity Yesterday. Maybe they need to update and have one that's going to be Christianity Tomorrow because apparently it changes, right? Christianity Tomorrow is going to look different than Christianity Yesterday did. I digress. Paul D. Miller, he talks about what is Christian nationalism. And scrolling through, even just reading the questions, I I know what I'm getting, right? It's funny how sometimes that works out. You know the publication. You know what the political climate is right now. You know generally where people are on the spectrum where institutions are like Christianity today, where it is on the political spectrum, you know generally what to expect from an article like this. So some of the questions here are, what is patriotism and is it good? (laughs) What is nationalism? What is Christian nationalism? What is the problem with nationalism? Is that really a problem or just an abstract worry? What do Christian nationalists want that is different from normal Christians' engagement in politics? How is this dangerous for America? How is Christian nationalism dangerous to the church? How is Christianity different from Christian nationalism? Can Christians be politically engaged without being Christian nationalists? See, this is, this is the trouble. Exactly as I see it, you have this junk drawer created by the radical liberals who don't want any Christian influence, certainly on the left, that would curb their progressive ambitions. And they don't want to hear any Christian influence on the right that would animate opposition from the opposite party. Now, they'll make arguments that are quasi-biblical, quasi referencing what God's word says, something Jesus said, something that happened in the Old Testament. They'll give you platitudes and you're not supposed to look too closely or second guess or question 
how they're employing the scriptures to make their points or make their case. But you definitely do have liberals who are radical, who are hostile. They are anti-clerical. I would disagree with William Galston's integralism piece that I can't remember if it was him or somebody he was referencing likened Protestantism to the Enlightenment and the French Revolution as altogether anti-clerical, therefore giving liberalism its distinctly ambivalent attitude towards religion. But we have radical liberals. I would disagree with the integralists on where they came from, but we have radical liberals who are very hostile to Christianity and Christian faith. And it's no secret that this is a political tactic. It's a manipulative one, but it's tried and true to accuse conservatives of being some ugly thing. In the run-up to the 2016 election, Trump was compared to Hitler. Anyone who voted for him was called a fascist. You had Antifa thugs willing to do violence to anybody wearing Make America Great Again paraphernalia. Punch a Nazi is what they said. Because, get it, Trump voters, Trump supporters are literally Nazis. All it takes is being a nationalist. And that's a bad thing because we're supposed to be globalists right now. Didn't you get the memo? You're not supposed to be a nationalist anymore. It's bad. It didn't stick as well. Sure, there were liberals who were just absolutely beside themselves, calling anybody who would vote for Trump or agree with his positions, statements, claims, arguments, a fascist. But for our part, I think most of the people actually voting for Trump and supporting him and voting Republican and being a conservative knew what was up. We knew what was being said about us wasn't true. Some maybe had an existential crisis. They internalized the accusations, the mean comments. It really threw them off. They changed their minds as a result because they just can't fathom somebody lying about who they are. They would rather give up on their principles than have someone else think that they're a Nazi. Even if the other person might be wrong, ah, we just can't take a chance, basically. And then you've got the folks who they didn't identify that way. They didn't identify as Trump supporters or make America great again adjacent. They were going to sit this one out not vote or vote third party. And they basically told us all they would never vote for Trump ever, 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 ever. Not if he was the last man on earth. So we call them never Trumpers. And there's enough of them that whether you agree with them, whether you think there's some legitimacy to that, there's enough of them that the term means something. And we know generally who we're talking about. We know the type of person, never Trump, Republican, somebody who likes the golf clap and drinking tea in the afternoon and wants everything to be very, very polite and gentlemanly and doesn't really particularly care if we ever win. Now, that could be useful in making friends with people who are 
committed to you not ever winning. That can be very complimentary. And I think that's half the reason why these guys are not interested in winning. They don't want to win. I think that actually might be more what bothers them than so-called fascism or Nazism or extremism of any kind. And so you have this piece, what is Christian nationalism? And almost every bit of it, just going by the headers, almost every bit of it is picking apart piece by piece whether this is legitimate. If somebody calls you, I mean, basically the way I read it, if somebody calls you a Christian nationalist, you should repent. Something's clearly wrong with your positions or your attitude or your demeanor or your way of your way of relating, you're not being a very good Christian. It's set up in the progression of thought to say that Christian nationalism is unchristian. And I think that, once again, what we have is we've got a caricature that's intentionally misrepresenting how folks like myself want to integrate our faith into our political philosophy, into the political process— It's intentionally misrepresenting. You also have folks who think they agree with me, probably, or would think they agree with me. But once we get into the details, it quickly becomes apparent that they haven't thought all these things through. And so, yes, let's say, for instance, a Roman Catholic integralist and I might agree on some basic truths about the need for moral clarity from the scriptures being brought to bear on who we elect or who our government is comprised of, how they govern, how they're advised, what they do, what they don't do, what they say, what they don't say. But when it comes to the details, I don't even know if they would agree with regards to the scriptures. See, they think the authority needs to rest on The church, political authorities are subject to the authority of the church. No religious liberty. Religious liberty is precluded since the freedom to choose among religions implicitly denies the authority of the church. It all goes back again to the authority of the church, the authority of the church, the authority of the church. It should be against the law, in their view, to worship God in any other way than what the Roman Catholic Church requires. Basically, It should be against the law for you to not be a Roman Catholic, according to the hardest line integralist viewpoint. And just like that, right? I can agree with some of the foundational presuppositional level truth claims being made by an integralist regarding the danger we're in due to liberalism. But it does matter what the dose is. The dose makes the poison, as the old Latin saying goes. It does matter what order we put these things in. It matters as much what we add as it does what we subtract. And the trouble here, I think, is Christian nationalism, to answer my friend's question, to answer my neighbor J.P. Chavez's question, Christian nationalism is a cheap trick. And by that, I don't mean that folks who might be called Christian nationalists are tricksters. I mean the folks who are doing the calling of Christian nationalism, saying you or you or you are a Christian nationalist, they're the ones who are being manipulative here. They're lumping in together 
folks that they don't want bringing God talk into this. You know, I was watching last night when I got home from work, this debate between Raphael Warnock, current senator from Georgia, and Herschel Walker, the Republican challenger. And it looks like the two of them are so close after election day that there's going to have to be a runoff election in December to decide which one of them actually is going to be the next senator from Georgia. But I'm watching this debate, and here's two black men, two Georgians up there on the stage. One of them, Raphael Warnock, a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church in, I believe, Atlanta, Georgia. Ebenezer Baptist Church is where Martin Luther King Jr. pastored. On the other hand, you've got Herschel Walker, whose background is football and business. And at one point, the moderators asked a question of Raphael Warnock regarding something he had said at a rally recently, regarding Roe versus Wade being overturned, regarding being pro-choice, which he is. He says he's a minister, but he's also pro-choice. And his comment, you might have caught this several months ago, but his comment is, to the crowd assembled, even God gave us the ability to choose. God gave Adam and Eve the ability to choose. We're not better than God, so we have to give people the the ability to choose. And that's such a that's such a superficial (laughs) surface level, totally lacking in depth argument to make with regards to abortion. You don't have to think very hard about it to see what the problem is with that kind of reasoning, right? And Herschel Walker, for his part, he pounced on it. Yeah, I thought he handled himself very well, actually, in the debate. The moderator, the one in particular, the black woman in particular, several times I thought was unnecessarily condescending to Herschel Walker and talked with him talked to him like he was a bit of an infant, which was not ideal. But he came back after Raphael Warnock had said, yeah, I, you know, I stand by that. God gave us the ability to choose. He's given our ancestors the ability to choose all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. So far be it from us to tell a woman she can't choose with regards to abortion. And Herschel Walker, his response was, yeah, God gave us the ability to choose, but you got to read the rest of the Bible. You, you need to read the rest of what it says. It says, God told them to choose life. <laughs> yes, we have the ability to choose death, but God didn't tell us to choose death. And it, it's not all the same, right? Now, the folks on the left who are not going to try and leverage religion like Raphael Warnock is in a manipulative way, I ah, see, you can vote for me. It's all the same. You know, making very similar type arguments to what Tim Keller would make. The Bible tells me abortion is wrong. It doesn't tell me how I should vote or how I have to vote to put a stop to it, Tim Keller says. Raphael Warnock might lay it on thick with some organ music playing in the background. It's a very sad thing. Oh, yeah, he sat with so many women who were brokenhearted about this question of whether they should get an abortion, and they're just scared, and the government doesn't need to have any say in that. 
It's hard enough as it is without the government telling you to not murder your baby. And to that, if I say something like what I just said, if Herschel Walker comes back with, hey, I'm a Christian and I read my Bible and my Bible says, thou shalt not murder. My Bible says, rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter. My Bible says, woe to them who exchange bitter for sweet, who exchange good for evil. My Bible says that the hands that shed innocent blood are on the short list of things that God hates and that are an abomination to him. And the folks on the left, the radical liberals who are hostile to Christian faith in the public square and don't believe it should have any bearing whatsoever on our political decisions and our political debates, they will say, you sound like a Christian nationalist. This sounds like the handmaid's tale. And then you're Christianity Today and other such periodicals will run stories, spending an inordinate amount of time defining every last word in the dictionary for us, and then telling us whether it's okay or not okay to be called those things. Whether you should sideline yourself, stop everything, stop engaging in the debate, stop running for office, stop campaigning for somebody who's running for office, stop podcasting, stop writing, stop talking about these things at all. If you get called one of these things, it's like Simon says, you got to stop, stop everything and go do some soul searching until, well, until you've been re-educated, I guess. It's a very manipulative way of arguing people out of their positions. What is nationalism? Well, here's my question. What is a nation, right? I think nationalism is very simple. It's very easy to understand. Paul D. Miller says there are many definitions of nationalism and an active debate about how best to define it. So basically, you don't know either. Thanks for nothing. Sorry, don't mean to be rude, but thanks for nothing. You don't know. I think it's very simple. There are such things as nations. Those nations need governed. When a nation is governed in such a way by its government that the rights and the interests that are legitimate and God-given and belong to the people of that nation are sought, pursued, protected, advanced. That's, to my way of thinking, what nationalism is, at least in our day, as compared with globalism. Radical wealth redistribution means your politicians can ship your interests, your prosperity, your security anywhere else in the world but to you. And they can claim thereby that they are pursuing the greater good. So all of your wealth can be disappeared, all of your security evaporated, as long as they can point to somebody else who benefited anywhere in the world who supposedly was more deserving of what was yours, what you worked for, than you are, well, then your argument is moot. And if you are really upset about this, that this is not fair, this is actually theft, it's fraud, then they can call you a nationalist. And if you're using Christian arguments, arguments from Christian morality and from the Bible, from your Christian faith, to say, this is wrong, it's wrong that you're stealing from me, Well, then they don't just call you a nationalist. They also call you a Christian nationalist. And you're supposed to just be quiet about that. Because according to Paul D. Miller, the problem with 
nationalism and the problem with Christian nationalism is that it's different from Christianity. So basically, this is a roundabout way of saying that you're not even necessarily a Christian. To call you a Christian nationalist, if the shoe doesn't fit, is to say, I'm not even sure you're saved, which is rich coming from the people. I guess they got bitter and they got upset at their salvation being questioned if they voted Democrat or told other people they could vote Democrat. I guess they got tired of being questioned in the genuineness of their profession of faith if they were voting for more access to abortion, more drag queen story time at the library or your local public school. But this is how it happens, right? This is this is how we get a loss in a midterm election year when we should have had a huge win coast to coast. There's a lack of clarity as to what we are about, what we believe, why we believe it. I think the folks who won, the Republicans, I should say, who won or who may yet win, if it's still close and it's still up in the air, they're the ones who articulated what it is that they're for and against clearly. If we have to think 20 times before we speak, lest we get canceled, lest somebody call us an ugly term, that means we have to go out to the cornfield and be banished and exiled. If we're always timid, then we will always lose because we're always playing scared. And that's the idea. The idea is that we always lose, that it be a foregone conclusion that liberalism, godlessness, always comes out on top. That's the big idea. Instead of the onus being shifted, the burden of proof being shifted, the Christian nationalists prove to me that you're a Christian. Prove to me that nationalism is okay. Ah, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't listen to what Nazis have to say, right? See, that's how it works. By employing the label, you also are announcing that you're not going to listen to what this person has to say anymore. Nobody else should either. So you've unpersoned them just like that. That's how it happens. That's how it's been happening for several years here in the U.S. This is just the latest iteration. Now, the integralist, going back to the Roman Catholics again, the integralist, I think, places the stress point in the wrong spot by saying the church's authority is what's really important here. No, no, God's authority is really important here. This is why we had a Protestant Reformation, because you folks who stuck with Rome didn't want to hear about book, chapter, verse, if the Roman Catholic Church was teaching such and such a thing, you're doing such and such a thing. You didn't want to hear about it so long as us bringing up the scriptures felt like a challenge to your authority. All the while you're forgetting Your authority comes from God. You're forgetting that we need to be Bereans about what it is that you're teaching us and telling us. I would say we need to be going back to the scriptures, and it needs to be safe that you would bring up the scriptures in a debate. So if Raphael Warnock wants to go there, he wants to make some tortured argument about God giving Adam and Eve the ability to choose in the garden, I would say, well, yeah, but he also gave Cain and Abel the ability to choose. He also gave Cain and Abel the ability to choose. And look how that turned out. It doesn't mean that it's all the same. There's no difference if you're Abel versus Cain. If you're the one getting murdered because your sacrifice was accepted by God and pleasing to God on the one hand, or you're the one doing the murdering 
because your sacrifice was rejected and you're jealous and you're envious. You could literally apply that kind of reasoning that Raphael Warnock is trying to hoist on the electorate. You could apply it to literally every choice a person might make. But then what you're talking about is lawlessness. That is lawlessness. Then turn around, by all means, and talk about how you're going to try and come up with legislative solutions to problems. It was a very curious thing that you see the merit in man-made laws. What was it Dr. King said? If a man-made law does not comport with the natural law or God's law, it's an unjust law. So if God says, thou shalt not murder, rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter. If God says, hands that shed innocent blood are on the short list of things that he hates and detests, which are an abomination to him. If you are writing laws over there to solve your pet issues, just out of your imagination, hubristically, and you're ignoring and teaching others to ignore likewise what God's laws actually are over here, you're no Christian minister. And the same folks who are going to try and make these very spiritual equivalents, moral equivalents type arguments about how there's really no way to tell for sure whether a Democrat professing Christianity or a Republican professing Christianity are any more or less a Christian thereby. I don't buy it. Not when I hear Raphael Warnock making the objectively satanic argument that he's making regarding abortion. What folly. This is ethics and Christian morality 101, folks. All folks like me are really praying for, hoping for, arguing for is the freedom, the right to continue on being able to reply to the likes of Raphael Warnock the way that Herschel Walker replied to Raphael Warnock on that debate stage in Georgia. That's all we're asking for. And for the folks on the left in particular, and for the mushy middle folks who call themselves conservatives or Republicans, but they're always happy to cut a deal, that's unacceptable. Their idea of religious liberty is that the left is free. And if we check them, if we argue against them, if we debate them, well, that's a travesty. They're worried about us in our counterattack, in our response, in our apologetic, giving people the wrong idea of what a Christian is. But they're not worried about the likes of Raphael Warnock giving people the wrong idea about what a Christian is or what God's word says. Go figure. And that's why I just can't let this term bother me too much. The integralist, I'm not a Roman Catholic. I am thoroughly not a Roman Catholic. I think the integralist is wrong to blame Protestantism for liberalism. Now, I can see how these things morph and are adjacent, but you might as well blame Roman Catholicism for liberalism. I would sooner blame the Roman Catholic counter-reformation in places like France for how the French Revolution unfolded. I think that makes a lot more sense. The way the Huguenots were persecuted and driven out, I think taught the revolutionaries what to do with the aristocracy and the king and the Catholic Church when they took over France. I really do. I think that's what it was. That's where your anti-clericalism comes from is the bad behavior of the stubborn 
unreformed Roman Catholics who refused to hear arguments, refused to listen to reason, even from the scriptures, even objectively from God's word and being reasonable about it, they wouldn't be reasoned with. So now we find ourselves in this situation. Two more years, likely, of Democrats doing, by and large, what they want at a national level. Maybe, possibly, we get a very slim majority in the Senate. Watch Georgia. See what happens there. It looks like the House is going to flip. I'm pretty sure that's official now. Republicans have retaken the House. But we've got to really dig deep in terms of what our political philosophy should be as Christians, how we should engage in these things. It really absolutely is a factor of our Christian testimony. And I'm afraid a lot of us are just doing whatever is right in our own eyes. We are living out the book of Judges politically. Our public discourse is not as good as it could be or should be. We need to be able to debate these things in a robust way, and we need to be open to reason. We need to be reasonable. We need to make reasoned arguments, and we need to be willing to listen, quick to listen. Now, quick to listen doesn't mean you don't have something to say when the time comes, but that's where we have to study. We have to think deeply. We have to ask God for wisdom. I think we have a lot of soul-searching to do, not of the navel-gazing, introspection, everything I do is wrong kind that the woke re-education campaign wants us to be about. But we need to be searching the scriptures to see whether we've taken our thoughts captive for Christ. We need to be removing planks from our eyes and then going and helping our brothers to do likewise with the specks in theirs. If we do that, if we individually, personally demonstrate to our countrymen how to repent, how to be reasoned with, how to listen, how to be humble, how to be confident in speaking truth, the virtue of studying, working hard, being honest, being decent. If we do that, we might just teach our countrymen how to turn this country around. In fact, I'm convinced that's the only way we can do it. That doesn't mean don't vote. That doesn't mean don't run for office. That doesn't mean we don't need political philosophy. Actually, I think that's how we get a good, sound political philosophy. It's not either or. It's both and. But speaking of philosophy, hard work, I got to run. That's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.